If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Colts Official Podcast. My name is Jeffrey Gorman. I am joined from Colts.com, senior writer, covers this team like no other, J.J. Stankovitz, and, of course, our voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, is here. Coming up on today, today's pod, we're going to discuss this 53-man roster. That's all we're going to discuss. I got news for you. A lot of Twitter thumbs out there and everything. People trying to refresh <laughs> pages of who's making the team, who's not. We're going to find out what's going on with this. You got roster neck today. We do, man. Big takeaways are coming up from training camp and the preseason. Plus, we got from ESPN, former Colt quarterback Dan Orlovsky is going to join us later on. But, boys, it is set. I set, but I start with J.J. Stankovic saying, hey, this thing is set. You were uh, furiously following along. On, uh, I saw you in your office doing what you do. I got to start with initial, uh, you know, there's going to be some waiver pickups. We are coming at you minutes after the 4 p.m. deadline to have this roster up. So there's going to be some waiver talk that's going to be going on in the next couple of days. But we do have a set roster right now. Practice squads being formulated as we go. But I got to start with you. The big takeaways from this 53-man being being announced just minutes ago. Your biggest takeaway, could it have been earlier in the day possibly when you heard it? Um, you know what the, I'm doing. I'm trying to push you. You're towards, trying. You're trying to push um, me toward an answer. <laughs> hey, so the the first thing that we we need to get out of the way, which we say every year, is this is the initial 53 man roster. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Jeffrey, there could be waiver claims. There could be sure. moves that happen. That that is always a thing. I mean, you know, five years ago, Kenny Moore the second was not on the Colts' initial 53 man roster, and then he was the next day. That's gone pretty well since he's not got bad. into the building. Not bad. I think two, so. Two big takeaways. One is that the Colts did keep three quarterbacks on the roster because Sam Ellinger forced it. He said the way that he played in the preseason, there was no way you could you could risk losing this guy to the waiver wire. You look at a team like the Dallas Cowboys that has one quarterback on their initial fifty three man roster. You, you're telling me Jerry Jones wasn't going to be getting the Texas kid back there. You don't want to <laughs> right. risk that, you know, Sam, the way that he played. Bring him so, home. He you, throws a fine spiral football, <laughs> Sam Ellinger. Wow. Not bad, Jerry Great. Jones. Lost a, a little. We got a review that once said, lost a start due to the impressions. Have you not learned your lesson? Sorry about that. Okay, but so Sam, Sam, Ellinger, Sam Ellinger makes the roster, earned his way on it. Kudos to the kid. Tremendous preseason. The other one is that four undrafted free agents made it. You got Wesley French, so French fries there still is. there on the, the offensive line. That's great. <laughs> and then on defense, uh, you get Dallas Flowers, who's he's a speedy cornerback from Pittsburgh State. He was a gorilla. Wow. That's the the, the only uh, college team nicknamed the Gorillas. Pittsburgh. We went over this on last week's podcast, though, that Dallas Flowers is kind of my guy because he went – to uh, Your high school, Navarra, to my high right? school. Yeah. We were just having a oh, conversation, right. having a conversation with Julian Blackman out there in the hallway right? about yeah. about uh, Dallas Flowers. And now he went to my high school, and so did Iman Shepard. Tell, tell the people what Julian Back- Blackman thines about Mr. Flowers. Likes him. Yeah, sky's the limit for that kid. He said, um, and he he's just so athletic, got a ton of upside. So he makes it. Trevor Denbo, who led the Colts in special team snaps, he led the NFL in special teams tackles in the preseason. He makes the roster. The kid from Corsicana, Texas, and then uh, JoJo Doman, the undrafted linebacker from Nebraska, makes the roster. So after last year, the streak ended with no undrafted free agents making the roster. This year, four make it. That is something that the Colts are should be really happy about because when they set out after this year's NFL draft, there was an emphasis on we need to get undrafted talent into this building because last year it was lacking a little bit. This year, four of those guys wind up making the roster. That is a good thing, a, a shout-out to John Shaw and the Colts pro scouting department for identifying those guys. Maytay, uh, initial takeaways from this initial. What do you uh, – yeah. what, what, what kind of – you know, what kind of set your hair back a little bit? Did you have any big question marks on this thing going in when it came out? Well, I mean, to piggyback off of J.J., it was quarterback. Sam Ellinger makes the roster. Really no surprise because when Ellinger came off of PUP last year when he was hurt in the preseason, he came right back on the roster, and there was a point last year in the middle of the season – 
where the Colts were keeping three quarterbacks on the roster. You know, Ellinger would be either be inactive or be the backup with Brett Hundley. Um, you know, other than that, I think Philip Lindsay being released is a little bit of a mild surprise because he's so good. He's a veteran. He's a you know a former one thousand yard rusher in the NFL. Um, the Colts also released Devontae Price, so they're only going with three, and it raises your eyebrows a little bit. But then when you think about it, it's like you're only going to have three active on game day, anyways. Mm-hmm. Right, you're going to have Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, and you're going to have Deion Jackson, uh, the second-year player out of Duke. And so if you look at it, it's Jackson's going to play on special teams. He can carry the ball if you need him to. Naeem Hines is primarily going to play in the, in the slot as a wide receiver this year. So I think this speaks a little bit to how they feel about Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, him as a player, you know, you don't want to take carries away for Jonathan Taylor if he's healthy and he's got the ability to – carry it 15 to 18 times per game but he stays healthy he takes care of himself right so there's confidence in Jonathan Taylor's durability he's averaged nearly 300 carries per season dating back to 2017 when he was in college at Wisconsin so this the the guy last year that had the second most carries was Naeem Hines who had 56 Jonathan Taylor had 332 so not to downplay Philip Lindsay's contribution to this team had he made it but Jonathan Taylor is here for a reason. He's the best running back in the NFL. You don't want to take carries away from him, especially down the stretch because of how, how much better he gets as the, as the game goes on, like all great running backs do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Phil Lindsay didn't play on special teams. Well, that factored st- into it as Maytay, well. Maytay, I want to have this roundtable on that. And as I was saying to J.J. before, why? Why aren't you playing special teams at this point of your career where you are you're, you're That's bounce, a good question. You're bouncing yeah. around in three, four he different organizations. He didn't in Denver, and he didn't last right. year with, the, saying, with uh, Houston you know, or Miami. Why wasn't that first day? And I'm not I, – I wasn't there. I'm just asking. Why wasn't that first day? He says, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this roster. And when you guys need to give him a spell, I'm ready to roll with, you know, some rushes. How does that happen? And where a guy like Deion Jackson does make this roster at the same position playing special teams? That's a good question. Um, I, I do think Deion Jackson. You look at it; he's six six foot two twenty five. You know, something he, to he's, do with it. Yeah, there's some, yeah, and he's fast. I think he ran a four four or or something when he was in college. Um, he's kind of got the body type and the physicality to be not just a guy who can say, yeah, I'll raise my hand and play on special teams, but a guy who Bubba Ventrone's like, no, you're, you're good. Right, right. We trust you out there. There's a difference between also raising your hand and saying, hey, coach, put me on special teams and also then being good at it. Right. So being I able think to you, execute. The, the other thing, and I, I thought this is interesting, Mate, listening to the episode of Inside Football with Rick Ventura you did last week with Coach, where he, he mentioned that Deion Jackson is kind of more of a natural backup to Jonathan Taylor. Than Philip Lindsay. Lindsay being a smaller guy, 5'8, 190. Jackson, like I mentioned, similar in body type to Jonathan Taylor. Now, Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the NFL, but if you're, if maybe, if maybe the thought is, okay, this guy can play teams, but in addition to that, if we need him to come in and, run and spell it, JT, yeah, four times we a don't, game. We yeah. don't have to change the run concepts right. for our because, offensive uh, line that we have spent a lot of time working on with our line. Whereas if Philip Lindsay comes in, maybe you have to do some different run concepts. You have to get to some things that you haven't practiced. Right. Because, again, if you're going to Deion Jackson in the middle of a game, it's for a carry or two. God forbid it's anything more than that. But if it is, right. then you've already practiced all these run schemes during the week, these concepts you're going to get to that Deion Jackson can step in that, again, maybe Philip Lindsay could be effective. He's got juice. Right. But might need a different run concept and, to throw and in you're, there. And you're, you're healthy. You're really, really healthy going into this initial 53-man roster. That helps, too. So, you know, with again, with Philip Lindsay, had he made the team, was he going to be active every game? Was it going to be a Marlon Mack situation like last year where he's the insurance package for Jonathan Taylor in case something happens, he's ready to go, he's, you know, been a, a bell cow running back in the NFL before? So with Deion Jackson, to your great point, J.J., he can run similarly to, to well, Jonathan it's, it's Taylor. It's Coach Venturi's point. It's not mine. I'm just well, parroting it like I, it's my own on this podcast. Boy, I, I do agree with you, but it also is, I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, when you talk about roster construction, you always have to factor in age and ability. So, you know, this is a cost-effective move for the Colts, keeping three running backs instead of four, and also you keep Deion Jackson, who is, 
younger and more cost-effective than Philip Lindsay frees up another roster spot where you can go deeper at, at another position. One other thing that we shouldn't gloss over before we, we kind of get out of this you know, initial takeaways is that Shaquille Leonard got removed from the PUP list, and he is now on the active roster. Yeah, so, and that's because of health. Yeah, right? and again, you're talking about this team being healthy. That is a good step forward right. for Shaquille Leonard. We'll see kind of where he is when you get into next week and you have to put out a practice report. What is he doing? What is he able to do? That'll be more illustrative to his potential for playing in week one. But it's very good news because he could have remained on the PUP list and been transferred to, it's called reserve PUP. That would have knocked him out for the first four games. That's not what's happening. Good, good so that's, news. So that's good news really good. for the Colts Great early news, in the season. Actually. Absolutely, yeah. it is. Again, so, we can't gloss over it. Those are some takeaways, but there is uh, the part, like the position group right now, guys, just your first instinct or your first uh, – you know, what's that word I'm looking for? Your first inclination. Uh, inclination. I called it instinct, but it's not the right word. You know what I'm saying. Listen, the the group, the room, whether it's DBs, whether it's whatever, linebackers, that kept more players than you initially saw this roster. The way it's forming right now, you got three tight ends on that roster. We've already talked about the running back positions. Mm-hmm. JJ, I'll start with you. I mean, I, I'm never going to be surprised that a, a team run by Chris Ballard is going to keep 10 defensive linemen, mm-hmm. uh, which the Colts did. I'll say probably linebacker. Um, you know, I thought JoJo Doman and Sterling Weatherford. Weatherford did not wind up making the 53. Both had pretty solid training camps. Um, but the Colts then go out. They trade for Grant Stewart from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a core special teamer. Right. Uh, he played 311-something snaps on special teams last year for the Bucs. Uh, a guy who can probably step in and contribute right away for Bubba Ventrone there. But... I think keeping six backers, that tells you that the Colts see not only, you know, your Franklin, Shaquille, Okereke, those guys, but you got a bunch of core special teamers in this group. Zaire's a core special teamer. EJ Speed's a core special teamer. Grant Stewart probably steps in as a core special teamer. JoJo Doman could be that yeah. guy, too. Yeah, obviously, sure. yeah. And it, it yeah. made someone like Brandon King who's been a core special teamer with the New England Patriots for a long time, it made him a little bit more expendable when it came down to roster cuts, King was one of the guys who was released today. So keeping that, and then the, the cornerbacks. Um, yeah, it's a busy room right that, now. It's a busy room. You know, we knew that Faison, Gilmore, Kenny Moore II, Isaiah Rogers Sr. were all going to make the roster. Tony Brown and Dallas Flowers both making the roster. That was a strong competition. Those guys did not just back their way into this roster. Mm-hmm. They earned it over guys like Anthony Chesley, Marvell Tell III, Chris Wilcox. It was good competition there. Guys had flashes during training camp, but kudos to those guys, those guys for making the roster here. Yeah, and you, you talked about Trevor Dimbo being very valuable to the team on special teams. He makes the squad, and then Armani Watts was probably going to make the team primarily to be the backup safety to either Nick Cross or Julian Blackman or Rodney McLeod, depending He's on who wins. On that, yeah, yeah, right. Depending on who wins that battle, but also to play special teams. So with his injury running down to cover a kickoff in the preseason finale against Tampa, that probably opened up the door for either Rodney Thomas or Trevor Denbo. But also, too, again, keeping only three running backs allows you to keep five safeties, that luxury there. So that opened the door for Denbo to make this roster. And I like the way he plays. He's got a lot of value. Rodney Thomas is a draft pick out of Yale. Um, the, the one surprise to me a little bit came um, along the defensive line mm-hmm. because you had a lot of guys. You were going to cut some really good football players, right? You you parted ways with R.J. McIntosh, at least for the time being. Chris Williams, who played a lot for you last year, he doesn't make the team. Byron Cowart, who the Colts signed, I believe, J.J. He was a, a waiver claim. Yeah. It was a waiver claim. So he makes the roster, and then Curtis Brooks does not at, along the defensive line at defensive tackle. He was a draft pick. And we know how much you know the Colts and Chris Ballard really value their draft picks and want to build and invest in those guys and get them on the team and have them grow. So you know, ha- having him uh, not make this roster, it'll be interesting to see if he comes back to the team um, via the practice squad. But he was a six-round guy the Colts really liked. So that that's interesting to me because you keep ten, like you said, JJ, but only four of them are true defensive tackles. But you've got the versatility there of Tyquan yep. and Dio to play either inside or outside based on the situation. Not too many surprises in the wide receiver room. We've been talking about the solid four for a long time mm-hmm. and find out what happens after that. Your thoughts on Michael Strahan and, and Desmond Patman who are rounding out the wide receiver room. Yeah, I mean, this is another area where keeping three running backs allows you to keep these six receivers, 
you know, and, and Strawn and Patman both earned their way onto this roster in training camp. You know, Patman was very productive in preseason games. Strawn came out, you know, from when he got removed from Pup, it was like he got shot out of a cannon the way he was practicing that first week when the, the Lions came to town and then he has the good game in the preseason against Detroit. And you see so much talent and just size with those two guys that you can see why they both got kept on this roster for sure. Matty Ochi, what do you got? Desmond Patman, Michael Strong, yeah, I mean, similar guys, both giant targets. Both guys are in that bucket, right? 6'5", 225 in that mold. I think it just boiled down to in the Colts – make this initial 53-man roster. It's who are the guys we don't want to expose to that initial waiver wire to get claimed so that they can leave us, right? So I think Kiki QT still has a chance to come back to Michael Harris still has a chance to come back. QT specifically has value on special teams because he can return kicks, he can return punts primarily. We saw that in the preseason finale against Tampa Bay. Uh, I think he had, what, seven punt returns, averaging about 10 yards per punt return. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was really good. So, you know, he might be good backup depth to Paris Campbell because of his skill set, and he also might add value if if you bring him back to the practice squad and call him up to return punts if you don't want to subject Naeem Hines to that workload um, in open space because of what he's going to do, play a lot primarily in the slot as a wide receiver. Question goes to you. Maytay talked about it. Waivers. We're going to have a lot of action over the next couple of days. Do you see an area that they could – Chris Ballard says, hey, I covet this guy. I'm going to I'm gonna handpick him. He's on the roster. So offensive line is interesting just because the, the way it shook out with Dennis Kelly getting released, um, the three backups in that group are Will Fries, Wesley French, and Bernard Ryman – Fries is the only one of those guys with any NFL experience. He played 22 snaps last year in uh, games against the Texans and Cardinals. So you're going into the season without a lot, with pretty much no proven depth back there. Where Dennis Kelly does have that. Dennis Kelly had that. But he but couldn't get Dennis on the Kelly, field. That... He didn't pr- really practice at all since signing with the Colts. Right. Um, so that could be an area where maybe you try to address that via the waiver wire. Yep. Um, you, you know, kind of scour who might become available. I mean, I thought Wesley French had a pretty solid preseason on the interior there. Uh, Will Fries stepping up into the the starting right guard role in that preseason game. And Bernard Ryman, really, he was coming along during training camp. But do you go into the season with more experience back there? Because you can see what the Colts are trying to do with Dennis Kelly, and it didn't wind up working out. Mm Mm-hmm. That might be an area I would kind of target. I think tight end, you still wonder there just because Alec o- – or I'm going to do this every time. I'm Andrew. so sorry to, to Andrew Ogletree. Uh, there was a player named Alec Ogletree who played in the NFL. And pretty I, darn good player. Pretty too. good player. <laughs> uh, but Drew Ogletree, <clears throat> he he had carved out such a role in this offense that Kyle, – and Kylan Granson and Jelani Woods, I thought after Ogletree's injury, both re- they really started to ascend in training camp. You started mm-hmm. to notice them a lot more making plays out there, but maybe there's still an opportunity at tight end for a waiver claim, potentially. Um, And, I mean, D-line, again, this is – Chris Ballard is always going to be looking for ways to upgrade his defensive line. There is – that's a spot on this roster that he has consistently found guys kind of on the margins. Last year was a guy like Taylor Stallworth coming in. Um, And and, and I do think um, there's a – there's a poss- there's a possibility there as well. Yeah, I really think the offensive line might be addressed. Wouldn't be shocked at all to see a waiver claim in the next couple of days because O-line attrition, it's a factor throughout every season. I mean, Jeffrey and J.J., what happened, what happened with this team in 2019 with the Colts O-line staying healthy basically the entire season, like that's the outlier, right? We all know if you go back to the last 30 games, the Colts have used 16 different offensive line combinations. Mm. So nine different offensive linemen start at least one game for the Colts last year. Chris Ballard loves depth. He's always going to be looking and scouring to see if we can get you know marginally better, even if we can. But that's a that's a move that's worth making because of how important this offensive line is. When you got have a guy like Matt Ryan at age thirty seven, a running back like Jonathan Taylor, if we can get better, we're going to. So yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that number go from 
eight to nine to maybe even ten before the regular season, and maybe some different names come in here off that waiver wire well, at offensive Tom. line. Stay tuned to Colts.com and on Twitter and Instagram, everywhere you can find it. The Colts are there with the latest news. J.J. Stankovic, Colts.com senior writer, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Got a great article from you, J.J. You spit it out really quick. Snap reactions after the 53-man roster was announced. You can find that on Colts.com. I want to stay in this thing, but I know we got to move on on things. But uh, five safeties? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're talking – Denbo could be – Five safeties, right? Yeah, I mean, you got it. The Colts have had – You've had to develop some of these guys – yeah, it's through. five. It's five. Yeah, it's yeah, five. Right. Yeah, you right. You can't run with four. I'm saying you can't run with four safeties. Uh, I'm just being. I'm just being minuscule about like where we can find extra room and stuff like that. Yeah. And I know these guys proved themselves. Like you guys that talk, young guys too uh, that are at the. I thought. I thought this was to be a four man group. Yeah, but I mean, you got to think about special teams with this. Yeah. And so forget about Trevor Denbrock right. being a safety. Right. He's just uh, on the you, team to play you're, special you're, teams. Right. You're almost thinking about guys. Same like thing with Trevor Jojo Doman. JoJo Doman, Grant Stewart, these guys, these guys are here to play special teams. You know, and the, the, these guys are these the next version of Jordan Glasgow. That's just what and I was going to say because you you have to replace. I mean, you you've moved on from George Odom, Matthew Adams, Jordan Glasgow, yeah. some guys who are core special teamers for you. You've got to replenish those guys through the back of the roster. And Denbo earned his spot. I mean, he he played very well on special teams, and you yes, he is a safety, but you probably would say your role this year is to play on special teams and go out there and do the best you can at that. And by the way, hey, we have a pretty good track record getting all pros on special teams. You got George Odom two years ago at Ashton Doolin was all, all, nearly a first-team all-pro. Matthew Adams was one of those guys. So um, yeah, I think you trust Bubba Ventrone here to coach these guys up and get them ready. All right, guys, real quick, the Colts Audio Network coming up this week, Tuesday through Thursday on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan and the Colts Audio Network. That is daily updates. You get inside football. J.J. talked about that earlier with Rick Venturi. That's going to drop on Wednesday with Mayte as well, giving you the thoughts on the Colts roster going into season and what he likes. Uh, what he liked, rather, from the the play after the Bucs. Uh, Colts ended off their preseason with a convincing victory over the Tom Brady-led Bucs. I love saying that because, I mean, he did lead them. I mean, he started the game, so <laughs> he did lead them, all right? We got one-on-one from players going into the season. Friday, don't forget about the Colts happy hour with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Again, Matt Taylor, J.J. Stankovitz, I'm Gorman. I'm going to start with you, Mate. Where are we strong Give me some strong areas right now after you saw this 53-man come out. Well, we're strong at uh, media with Jeffrey Gorman. Thank That's you. where we're strong there at. We, we continue to dominate the, the media portion of the uh, of the organization. But I still think you're really good at running back, despite the fact that you're only keeping three when you have the best running back in the NFL who doesn't miss time, carrying over 300 uh, attempts per, per season. You feel really good about that. And I think cornerback. You feel really good about the depth with Faison, Rodgers, um, sort of being that you know in, in the mix for that third corner to back up Kenny Moore or to back up Stephon Gilmore or to have one of those guys on the field in the sub packages, really good there. Tony I mean Brown. Tony Brown too, yeah. right? He, huh? He's got versatility in the nickel, too. special teams. He can play on the outside. Frank Reich spoke very highly of Tony after that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then linebacker, especially if you can get Shaq Leonard back early right. in the season, you're really really good and you have, you have a lot of depth. Whether it's Speed or Franklin in, in that mix to, to start if, if Leonard can't play week one against Houston, I don't think you can go wrong with either of those guys. So those three positions, running back, corner, linebacker, to me, are probably the deepest and you feel the most secure about going into the season. JJ, I agree? I'm going to throw one other one in yeah. there that I think is the deepest on the team, and it's quarterback. You got, yeah, you you got to, Matt Ryan, Nick running. Foles, and Sam Ellinger on your roster. That's a pretty deep room. I agree. I, I would imagine that you know the Colts probably feel like that is as whole of a room that they have had since right. probably, you know, you're talking about Phillip and Jacoby being sure. here a couple years ago. That was a strong room top to bottom. But you talk about those three quarterbacks in there. You're right. I would throw them on. That is an area yeah. of well, strength. I would also say this, and this is sort of outside of the box, but you talk about areas of strength. I think – the biggest area of strength, if you look at the team big picture, is just the, the starting lineups on both sides it's of the ball. a lot of talent. There's, there's not a glaring weakness with the starters on this team. Now, knock on wood, they stay healthy. But I, I think the biggest thing you can take away, if you look at this opening day roster or the initial 53-man roster compared to last year's, you just have 
more top-end talent. You've got more premium talent at important positions, right? You've got Ngakwe at defensive end. You've got Gilmore at corner. You've got Faison at corner. Matt Ryan. You've got uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt Ryan. Ryan. You've got Alec Pierce at receiver. You drafted him in the second round. You get Blackman back at safety. That's huge. You know, based on the way that he plays and how good he is, that's like getting a first or second round pick back into the mix on your squad. So the starting lineup. Really, really good for the Colts. And I think maybe the opposite was true last year where you felt better about the depth and you felt, or at least you had more answers or you felt more secure about special teams because of known commodities like the guys you just talked about, J.J. I think the Colts will get there, but they have more unknowns on special teams and depth than they did last year. But now they have more top-end talent. you got a new punter in Matt Hawk. Rodrigo Blankenship is back, and now you have a different mix of core special teams players compared to years past. All right, guys, listen up. Uh, Areas of weakness. I don't like to talk about it because, quite frankly, moves aren't done. But if we did look at this thing right now, we're, we're, you know, some room to improve, and it's going to happen in the next couple days is? Uh, I kind of talked about the offensive line depth earlier where you might see a veteran come in there. That would kind of be, you know, a, a potential area that you look to address over the next couple of days. Other than that... You know, I think you're always – I mean, Chris Ballard has always shown a, a a willingness and a drive to tinker and improve this roster. That's what holistically. he does. Yeah. It, and it's always the, hey, if we can get – it's, you know, kind of the, the cliche around here, but we can get 1% better with this move, we're going to go ahead and make it. So this roster is initial, but there's going to be a lot of moves. You get the practice squad. You're going to get guys coming in and off of that. Um and maybe you maybe you identify someone who you sign to your practice squad. And you say, hey, you know, by week eight or so, this guy could help us out. Right, right. That could be something you look for too. Maytay. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think you know, defensive line, uh, interior defensive line might be looked at. It might be addressed, and then you know, it's going to continue to be a topic of conversation until it's not. Until we start playing regular season games, and then either opinions change or. You know, things are solidified because you know who your top four receivers are on offense, right? And you got Pittman, Pierce, Paris, and Doolin. Um, should injuries happen there, then you're going to rely on players that are capable. Yes, we've said that this entire offseason, but they haven't been starters yet. They haven't been, you know, key contributors when you talk about Strawn and Patman or if you bring back Harris or QT. So that's going to be continued to uh, to be looked at and talked about until there's a reason not to talk about it. Absolutely. We're going to be talking a lot on this show throughout the season of how good this stinking team is because it's only getting better and better each week. I love what you said, Matt, about just like prime positions bolstering, getting stronger in those I was going to say premium players at premium Pre- positions, yeah. but I yeah. think JJ's heard that once. You should have. Once or twice. A couple exactly. times. All right. Maytay's been <laughs> busy last week not just a couple of days ago dan orlovsky came into town he hosted the colts kickoff luncheon he discussed his thoughts on matt ryan's potential with the colts so he talked about gus bradley's defense here and he thinks that the colts are the team to beat in the afc south mate voice of the colts and lara overton with dan orlovsky well the host of the colts kickoff luncheon is former Colts quarterback and one of the best NFL analysts on TV. You see him on ESPN, on all platforms. He does college football. He does NFL. Dan Orlovsky is with us. Welcome back to town, Dan. It's good to see you, bud. Thank you, man. It's good to see everyone. Uh, It's cool coming back in. You know, I haven't really been here since um, a decade now since I really played here. Really? Yeah. um, I was texting with some people last night just how cool downtown looked. It feels like it's a lot different. So, Truly honored um, to be hosting and, and uh, kind of be talking football about the Colts. It's awesome. you got to love free agency. You love the yep. draft. You love contracts and player movement. That's all cool. It gives us something to talk about in the months of March through July. But it's regular season no, football, thank man. God. Like, let's go, finally, yeah. right? I mean, come on. Especially in my world where it's just we assumptions and – forecasting and and trying to find interesting things to say i mean i enjoy all that that stuff but my my love is all right what's going on with the football it's the tape right x's and o's yeah exactly and so it's it's really nice you know the you know the saying is when the offseason comes like we just can we survive and then it's finally (laughs) like all right we survive which is uh interesting but yeah it's really good to have the regular season here all right put your former player helmet back on what what's your mindset as a player what was it once training camp breaks and you're getting ready for the regular season, how did you handle that? How did you compartmentalize knowing that we're keeping score for real and what's about to happen is 
it's imperative. Yeah, I mean, you start to transition, I would say, like two-thirds of the way through camp. You start to think about that, especially the older you get, you know, where you feel like your spot on the team of one of 53 is pretty solidified, okay? And so now we start gearing towards the the length of the season, um, week one, and how are we going to set up that 10-day or two-week period between the last game and the first game and who do we have and all that stuff. So it, it's it's almost like – you it's you break off from training camp mentally and you start getting so much more excited for the thing that actually matters that you spend all off season working for all the training all the running the lifting the preparation all that stuff and you start getting really excited for it you know and it's you you, you try to again as you get older you try to let the kind of uh, anxiety or or excitement of it ramp up to, towards week one rather than it being too much early on. And then it's really just going and doing your job on a daily basis, you know, and, and getting really focused on that. You know firsthand how much this fan base loves their quarterbacks. Sure. And we're talking about the start of another season with another new quarterback. And one of the things that I talked with both Quentin Nelson and Michael Pittman Jr. about is it's almost been a luxury to have had this much time with Matt Ryan leading into a regular season. It's something they really Mm. haven't had in multiple years because of injuries, COVID restrictions, different things. When you do flip on the tape of what Matt Ryan was doing last year, and then you integrate him behind this offensive line with the weapons he has with Jonathan Taylor, what do you see the likelihood being? How do you see this offense evolving? And how much football does Matt Ryan seem to have left in him? Yeah, Matt can still play at a really, really high clip. Um, I, I think I always say this about quarterbacks. Can you think and can you throw? And Matt can do those two things at a really high level still. Um, you know, the, I, the beauty of this offense is that the quarterback has to be one of 11. Uh, there's offenses in this league that aren't that way, that demand the quarterback to be more than that because – uh, the scheme is relatively basic or the talent of the offensive line isn't good enough or the skill position can't win. You know, I think that this offense is set up for a quarterback to go in and um, I don't, you know, I don't want to say like um, just run the offense. Every quarterback is asked to do that. The quarterbacks really have the, the, the ask is, can you make sure that we are very rarely in negative place and um, be incredibly efficient that, um, both the scheme and the talent on the outside allows your job to be as easy as possible. And I think Matt's in a really good space to do that. Um, I, I, like I've, Matt and I are relatively similar in age. I actually, Matt's first game as an NFL guy was against us in Detroit. I think his first pass of his career went like 82 yards for a touchdown. Um, and I've had the fortune to get to know him a little bit and go on some golf trips with him. And I think the thing that like probably is going to be really healthy for this offense when it comes to Matt, and I say this um, out of respect, is like he's got like a healthy, endearing prick about him, you know, where it's like, <laughs> you know, there's something about him that like he he says stuff to you and you're like, yeah, I, like, I, I know. Yeah, you know, it's it's that quality that some quarterbacks have the ability to have. It's just he he, he grab you you gravitate towards him because of that personality, and you want to be around him even more because of it. And I um I think that those guys on offense are really going to kind of fall in love with his personality, and they'll be able to see he he could still throw it as well as needed. What do you think Frank Reich has been through this entire time since 2018? He yeah. takes this job and he thinks, all right, I'm going to have a healthy Andrew Luck for the next 12 years, sure. and then it's. The calf injury, and then he retires, and then Jacoby Brissett, Carson Wentz, Phillip Rivers, now Matt Ryan. How tough has that been on the quarterback guru of Frank Reich and the play caller and trying to tailor the offense to a new guy every year? Yeah, I think that there's probably two sides to it. You could sit there and be like, man, this is so hard slash unfair and daunting to Frank Reich. I also think that some coaches in the NFL, and I think all of us as people, like we just get set in our ways and we get content and we get kind of rigid. And the change has probably forced him to really stay on the edge of his seat and to really look at the, the offense that he's running and he's calling and the plays that he's designing and watch other people what they're doing and, and say, okay, can we do this differently, more efficiently, better, more creative, more creatively? And I think that's probably been a benefit for a guy like Frank who kind of embraces that stuff. So this, I, I can tell you, that outside of Andrew, because Andrew was, a, you know, a generational, obviously, talent, 
the best pure thrower of the football that Frank's had and Matt. Um, certainly the guy who can place the ball the best. I always say there's a difference between being accurate and being able to place the football. Um, a guy that does not fear failure. You know, and I and I think that's a really interesting, you know, because Frank's an aggressive guy. Frank doesn't run from, you know, making a mistake or something like that. He wants to go chase it down. And I think the correlation of those personalities is going to be really good for the two of them. Defensively, this is the most turnover we've seen from a personnel staff standpoint in Frank Reich's time with the hire of Gus Bradley. He brought that entire defensive staff with him. in. Yeah. then you have, you know, Matt talked about, off season, you have the draft, you have trades, you have free agency, you bring in Yannick Ngakwe via trade, you sign Stefan Gilmore. And when I talked with Gus Bradley, one of the things he was excited about is every level of that defense had a pro bowler, mm-hmm. you know, front to back. When you look at the foundation that was here from the defense that Matt Eberflus established, now the nuances that Gus Bradley brings in, how much of a leap can this defense take, especially in closing out games, finishing <laughs> games in the fashion that they're expected to do? Yeah, I mean, last year the, the, t- the takeaway goal was like 40 for them. I think they got like 34 or 33 or something like that. Um, you know, I, I, the, the leap as a unit is going to come from – like, does a player like Cody Pay take a leap the same way that Kenny Moore did? We're like, whoa, that, that guy's one of the best in the league right now is what he does. Um, I have heard a ton of buzz about, a, like, Nick Cross. Does he step in? Is Blackman healthy? Can those guys – because I think those two players have the chance to become, like, the Cats in Buffalo, you know, Boyer and, and um, uh, Micah Hyde, where, like, you, you got two of the that, – that unit is really good. So uh, the unit jump um, is going to be attached to those individual players' jumps. Um, it'll be interesting because I do think – that there's the theory that, you know, Gus is notorious for a cover three defense. If you just line up and play cover three nowadays in the league, you are going to get gutted by offenses because of the rules and how smart guys are. So it'll be really interesting to see because I thought what Matt Eberflus did so cool last year was like they would have so much post-snap movement. I'm getting super deep in the football world. Let's but do like, it. Let's go. Yeah, Let's go. post-snap movement where like, as an offense, you'd sit there and go, well, I know where those guys are going to be. And then the ball snapped and they're like, dang, dang, where I thought they were going to be. And so does he kind of not only um, continue to have that be a foundational piece, but does, that, does he bring a little bit more back-end disguise attached to it? And does he allow plays like, players like Shaq to continue to be ball-hawking type of defender? So um, – there's, there's a theory that he can't just line up and play cover three like he did you know, in the past that thrived because it's just a different world nowadays in the RPO game. So um, I think kind of allowing Eberflus's philosophies um, to continue to be a big part of it I, I think is okay. You know, Dan, we've talked about Jonathan Taylor all offseason and last year 1,800 yards rushing yeah. and set franchise records with touchdowns and I mean yards after contact. The guy's just a beast. But we've said, or at least I've said, that if he doesn't flirt with 2,000 rushing yards this season, that's not a bad thing for the sure. Colts. they got to be more efficient in the passing game if they want to really make a push for the playoffs and go deep in the month of January and February. Do you see it the same way in terms of maybe if Jonathan Taylor's role is not as significant on this team that might be overall better for the Colts yeah and I think the the easiest way to say it is like the Colts really want to run the football when they want to not when they feel like all right we have to you know like that's that when you get into that mindset of all right we have to run the football here that's when you become incredibly predictable and um, you're asking a lot out of the people to run the football to be like hey you got to run off two free guys um you know, I think that when they get to a point where they want to run, the, they can run the ball when they want to means that that the defense is on its heels. It's it, The defense has no idea versus what personnel grouping or formation that the offense is going to do. And that's, I think, when Frank is at his best, when like he can present to you a formation and I can call three or four different plays out of that formation. Maybe three of them are pass plays. Maybe one of them are run plays. And so, you know, it, it's also that fine line of, I say I always say football is like this really simple game that we overcomplicate. You know, it's they got an offensive line that can move humans and they got a back that can run around through or by them and so 
there's there's that belief that like you stop it we are going to force you to stop this um but also also think like you can make it easier on everybody when you're just doing it when you want to so yeah i think that because of some of the younger talent they have on the the perimeter if that stays healthy if alec is the guy that they hope he is and if paris can stay healthy and doolin takes a step forward and you know naheem's got to get some touches a little bit more as well so um you know it's also i don't think fans truly understand how much adding that one game lengthens the season i know it sounds silly it's a long season for those guys, you know, and especially if you get into the playoffs. So um, the more that they can get him kind of peaking in December, the better. I love that you talked about those receivers because so much of the offseason conversation, debate, argument surrounded, when will the Colts or will the Colts sign a veteran wide receiver? And the veteran that they added was hiring Reggie Wayne as the wide receivers coach, something that Frank Reich had tried to do the entire time that he'd been here, wanting to bring Reggie back, having been wide receivers coach for Reggie when he was a player here. Know you know Reggie well. For the young group of playmakers that he has inherited, and a lot of people certainly excited about Michael Pittman Jr., very excited about Alec Pierce. We know that leap is so great in terms of a rookie wide receiver, but what makes Reggie such a good fit to put these young guys in position, help them evolve, help them grow so that this team has all the guys they need, all the weapons that they need for Matt Ryan in place already? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a couple things. Like Reggie, at least when I got around him, I'll never forget waking up in training camp one morning. And this is a guy who went to Miami. He was incredible. First round pick, all that stuff. Played with guys who were in the Hall of Fame. And I woke up one morning, went to the weight room. It was like 6 a.m. And we had just had a relatively like heavy practice the day before. And Reggie was squatting and running sprints on the treadmill. So to have a guy in your room that not only the results were what they were, but had that I'm okay with the lonely work, work ethic. Um, I think that's a really, really big thing because players automatically sit there and when he tells them things, there's not only weight to it, there's clout to it because of the the work ethic. And he could kind of teach them how to, again, first round picks, you didn't have to do that, especially like year 10. I was mm-hmm. with Reggie or something like that. I think that his um, experience being around Peyton is probably hugely beneficial because they have that moment when I always say this, you know, because we often talk quarterback receiver and we only keep it one sided like receiver. Listen to what the quarterback wants. You know, I'll never forget how much Matthew Stafford would listen to Calvin you know, and hey, what are you seeing? Because quarterbacks, we really don't know how hard it is for those guys. Like, we might see cover too, but they may not, you know? So so the more that those guys can hear how Reggie and Peyton communicated and really Reggie to Peyton, um, it'll empower them and kind of um, encourage them to be vocal to the stuff that they see or feel or need from Matt. Um, and obviously be receptive to Matt as well. So I think like just the, the, the experience of being incredibly talented, incredibly hardworking, but also so detailed um, and so on top of everything um, because everything mattered to him, um, I think is a really like an endless amount of uh, growth that they can have. Reggie is like a human soundbite. I mean, it's been yeah, so yeah. great to have him. And one of the questions I asked to him this offseason was, what makes Matt Ryan the type of quarterback you would have liked to have played with? And his response was, man, it makes me want to throw up because he reminds me of Peyton, Peyton sure. so much. Do you see those tendencies and in that prick. Um, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think like these guys, I mean, Peyton, right, class of his own, um, incredibly comfortable in their own skin. They never try to be somebody that they're not or somebody that you think they should be. Ultra confident. Um, very intelligent, has the personality to mix it up with everybody. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's so interesting because, you know, Matt really trends towards potentially being a Hall of Famer. You know, he's, certainly there's numbers to support it, and he's in Atlanta for such a long time, and now he steps into this situation, and there are parallels to the Matthew Stafford moment, you know, and it's 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 got to be so like intriguing to him to sit there and be like, well, you know, why, why not me? Why can't I have that opportunity? And so um, I think there's a lot of similarities to this team. You know, if you look at Matt in Atlanta and when they were rolling, it was obviously Kyle and 
But for me, it was more like the size of the cats on the outside. He had big-bodied guys. And I think the thing, and I'm going to talk about this with Matt today, is, you know, Matt throws this, this like, almost, like, beautifully lofted pillow type of throw. Not weak arm strength, but the ball is so easily caught because he's he's placing it. You know, you're, hey, you're six foot four and you're not wide open, but I know if I throw it to this kind of quadrant on your body with just a little touch on it, you can use your body to frame a guy and we can have a bunch of chunk completions. And I think like there's a lot of correlations between his time with a player like Julio and his big body or Tony Gonzalez and his big body and to some of the guys that are here. Dan, is there anything, as we kind of wrap up on the Colts, and you've been so gracious with your time, is there anything about this team that, that gives you pause as you look at the roster? Is anything about this team that you say, man, the great team, but they got to get better here going into the season? Sure, yeah. I mean, the I said this going into like the last two or three weeks of last season, right? And I said um, – the concern I would have about the Colts if they had gotten into the playoffs was going to be the perimeter players. Like, you got to be able to go win. And there's still that question, like, can Michael win consistently? I think he can. What is Alec? Like, I called a bunch of games of Alec Pierce last year in Cincinnati. Countless times I'd be like, Alec, they just put him out there one-on-one and he won, right? And But it was more of like the DeAndre Hopkins body type of control. So do those – perimeter players play at a really high level consistently against really high-end coverage and then uh, I think the the secondary on the outside like how where is Stefan as a player you know Um, and does the secondary the great thing that they did last year was they were so attached to the rush like it was such a handshake type of defense like together and that 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 takes a lot of um not, I don't want to say time, but it just takes – you got to be so greased with that stuff for it to consistently be good. And I think if that happens, yeah. I have said this since March. I think they win the division. I think they're the team to beat in the division. I think that they're the most complete roster in the division. Um, there's no reason that they should not. Mentioning the division, that's exactly where I was going to go because you win the division, easiest path to the playoffs, especially with as tough as yeah, the AFC. Brutal. It's brutal. Absolutely brutal that that has become. And everyone looks to, all right, Tennessee has been the front runner. They've been the one, the perennial leader. Um, but, of course, they look a little bit different this year. You can't really write off Houston and Jacksonville. Where do you see both of those teams being more competitive within the division and being teams that are not going to make it easy for Indianapolis to run away with, despite the fact that they do appear to be, on paper, the strongest team in the AFC South? Jacksonville just in such a healthier space as a organization with, with Doug Peterson as the head coach there. Trevor Lawrence now really restarts his NFL career, but in a such a, a better situation to play well. Um, they're still talent-deprived, that roster. That roster still should not be able to contend for a division unless Trevor plays completely out of his face and some of their younger skill players do, but they'll be much improved. And I think the same with Houston. You know, Houston, it's such a – I don't want to say wild card because, like, there's, like – a high level of intrigue about Davis Mills. Like, all right, you got something to you. Um, I, I think that their defensive talent isn't good enough, you know, yet, even though the addition of Stingley on the outside. So improved rosters, but this is really a two-man division, two-man race. And because of the difference in the quarterback play, the difference in the offensive line, and the difference, you know, I've said this about Tennessee. I love Tennessee. I do. But they're going to rely on – their number one receiver is coming off an ACL tear. I love Robert. I play with him. I hope he is. But I don't know how that's going to go. Um, they're replacing a superstar with an unknown, you know, draft pick. So it, I here's the here's the thing for me with Houston. Like, I think Indy has a guy that on third and six, and it's week seventeen, and we it's we got to go get a first down to get into field goal. I feel like you could put Pittman out there and be like, dude, you got to win. Yeah. Like you got to go win the or Alec. I don't know if Houston or Tennessee has that. Robert's never been that guy. And Traylon at Arkansas was never that guy. And I just, that matters in the NFL when it comes to like moments that are the most important. Final one from me, Dan. Again, we so much enjoy your uh, experiences on TV. Loved you in the Colts locker room in 2011. How much enjoyment do you take from 
doing the the TV analyst work as compared to being a football player? Uh, you know, being a football player was my dream come true. That was the, you know, you're a 10 year old and you have this dream and you have pictures all over your room of magazine cutouts. And, you know, you go from having this dream to a goal to a, you know, a reality. And so um, it was the absolute coolest thing I've ever been a part of outside of like getting married and having kids. It was like, it, it, you know, it was the, the greatest thing. Cause I think a big part of it is you prove it to yourself. Um, being in the TV world, um, I, it's, it's as like everyday fun. Yeah. It just wasn't a dream of mine when I was a 12 year old, you know, when like, did it become a dream or, or a, a pursuit of yours? Um, you know, it's funny. My wife found the, the Twitter cutups, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I think like it's always been a thing for my, for me. I say this all the time. My wife found a notebook when I was like 10 years old that said, I want to be a broadcaster for ESPN. So like, but I was never focused on that. Yeah. I never thought of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. I wasn't a really athletic person as a kid. Like I could throw and I was a good athlete, but I was slow and no muscle and all that stuff. And so I think like I really studying the, like the beauty of football early on, because that was the only way I was ever going to make my dream come true. And then being a backup for the great majority of my career, like it, it in many ways taught me how to try to be good at this job, mm -hmm. you know? And so I love still being a nerd about football because I always was. Um, I love finding things that people can't and or won't. Um, I love being willing to say stuff that people can't or won't. Um, you know, when I got started in the job, people would tell me, it's not your job to be right. I totally disagree with that. Like, it really? is my job. Wow. I, it is my job to be right because how am I differentiating from anybody else if I'm not right or wrong more often than not? Sure. So I try to take tremendous pride and like my theory is I'm never scared to be wrong because if I'm scared to be wrong, I'll never strain to be right. Mm -hmm. And I like being on television saying stuff that 99% of the people are like, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> and um, I love doing that. What's, so what's the most satisfying bowl take you've had where you've been oh, proven correct? I almost correct. had one last year. <laughs> I almost had yeah. one last year. Yeah. Um, I, I think last year, too, like I remember me saying if Cincinnati's defense played similar to what the Steelers' defense of the past had been, I remember Cincinnati that. could get to the Super Bowl. And Stephen A., and who I love, was like, you're out of your mind. I'm like, I'm just telling you, that quarterback's the real deal. Right. Uh, Matthew, like everyone freaking out that Matthew Stafford had thrown a couple <laughs> interceptions. I was like, every, like this, this, this guy's going to go win the Super Bowl because in the moments where he's got to be his best, he has no other choice but to. And we right. saw that play out. So, like, last year was a really cool year for that stuff. You know, I said – I think like week three or week four when Indy and, and New England were sh kind of off to slow starts, I was like, those two teams will be in the mix near the end. And everyone was like, you're crazy. So I just, um, I love that stuff. You know, yeah. I love being right because it proves to me that like I'm trusting my eyes and I'm doing the work. Yeah. And I think that as long as I trust my eyes, I'm not scared to be wrong about it. No question about it. Dan Orlovsky, again, really enjoy, you know, all that you Thank do you. on television. Thank you so much for being the uh, the guest speaker here for the Colts at the kickoff luncheon. Continued success. You're just so easy to talk to. You're great at what you do. You're down to earth. Thank you, man. So we really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good stuff, Maytay, you and Lara Overton. Here's what I'm going to give you on Orlovsky. Okay. Never said a word. <laughs> when he was here, I never heard him speak. I just really? didn't. Really? I never heard the guy speaking. This was back in the day where we could have, you know, we, we'd be in the locker room for a good 45 minutes each day after. I never heard Orlovsky speak. And when he did, it was, he was kind of forced into it when he had, uh, well, it was kind know, of, some, it's, some a, stuff, but, but it's an awkward season though, right? Very much so. I mean, very much so for it, but I mean, very quiet guy, but I'm saying I love Dan. He was, I mean, I love watching him as a fan now because he is so informative, but from what I knew him when he was a Colt to where he is now. Uh, you know, I didn't hey. see it. I didn't see it. <laughs> Came well, out of his shell. That's like the receivers, right? Just because you haven't heard him that's doesn't right. mean yeah. they can't, right? Right. That's right. That's right. Well, but, so. I mean, it was an awkward season. I mean, you had Peyton's neck going on. They bring in Kerry Collins at the beginning of the season. He gets hurt, Overspend. and then it's Curtis yep. Painter. <laughs> and then, you know, he's thrust into the last five games of the season. He's just trying to assimilate. Yeah, and I know. Do a good I'm just job. Saying, I'm the guy now talking head on ESPN. Everybody <laughs> knows him. Huge following on social He's such media. a good dude, though, he man. Like, dude. he's and so great. He's down to earth. And he and... is a friend of the Colts Network, that's for sure, because yeah. he knows where he played. Okay, guys, Twitter <laughs> mailbag. JJ, I have no idea what's going on. What do we got? What great. We good. I'm glad you have no idea what's going Zero on. Because our going question on. is from at TY Bob Official. 
Is that Hey Gorman, a stick, roll-on, or spray deodorant guy? Also, what game this season makes you sweat the most? Oh, I like that. It's oh, great. I like that. I'm not answer the first theme. part of the question. Not afraid to answer the first part of the question. I'm an Old Spice guy. It's either a blue or a green. It's like cool and fresh or something. So stick guy. But it's no anti-deodorant. It's all the stick. Anti-perspirant. Clear. Yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. won't use yeah. the white stuff that has like aluminum in it. And, yeah. And, uh, I just use the clear stuff. And been with Old Spice for a while on that. <laughs> I'm just going to say we've got a partnership that's there, been very, IL. very one way. This partnership, I'll let you know people at Old Spice. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell on myself a little bit more. I use a body wash that is from Old Spice, and I hate the name of it, but I'm going to come clean with you right now, no pun intended. Swagger. Yeah. Old Spice you got Swagger. got a lot of Swagger. Old Sp- no, no, hardly. you got Swagger. Jeez, what are you talking no, about? Dude, not at, no, now I know why you that, smell so good. Mid-50s isn't the Swagger type. But, yeah, that's what I do. I go All out right. there, think it smells good, slap it on and get out and, you know, run about the day. Mate, what Good game makes you. you sweat the most this year? Oh man, like uh give me give me some deeper criteria. What am I like? Uh, so I like, think a, this, like an this under is, the radar game. What game don't you want to see because you're so nervous of it? I mean, what is, is Yeah, I think I think, well, I think I t- I took it as the under the radar game or a trap game or, you know, something along those well, lines. Well, when you initially said sweat, like the game that gives you the most um anxiety. Actually, yeah. Okay. To me, it's the game at home against Tennessee. Not because you don't know Tennessee's good or you the chance to overlook them. It just it just means so much. Like it's such an intense game. I mean, that game is the that is the pseudo AFC South championship game, especially last year's game uh, at home because you know the first game was in week three on the road and then you come back home and you play them on Halloween. You're done facing the Titans by the halfway point of the season. And the same is kind of true this year. You're going to see them twice in the first eight games. The first meeting is at home this year instead of on the road. That game's sold out, by the way. But if you get them the first time at home, man, it really kind of sets up, you know, where you are in in terms of getting off to a good start, getting in the catbird seat in the AFC South. And, again, I I think there's – a healthy amount of pressure, and it's coming from everywhere. It's coming from the fans. It's coming internal. Obviously, Jim Irsay has talked openly about we have to beat the Titans this year. That, to me, when you talk about sweating and perspiring and being, you know, having having anxiety about a game, it's the Tennessee game because it means so much to winning the division. All right, literally and figuratively, it's the Jacksonville game in week two. Yeah, Colts haven't won down there. <laughs> Good man. Yeah, in in a long time, and it's going to be hot. So you are going to be sweating during that game, but you also you got to win that game. This has got to be the year that that streak ends. Double J, I agree with you, but Dad Gummit, you got to win that first one too. Well, you got to win I that mean, first I one. I mean, they've had you know the ghosts of that, yep. that have been down there. It's I'm, like you. And I'm you not got... talking about Ty Hilton. It just is a weird rivalry through the yep. years that when you don't think a team has a chance to win, it's inexplicable. These you got, teams will. You got yeah, but that's the thing. You you can knock out the week one losing streak and the. Jacksonville losing streak in the, in first, the first two weeks two of the weeks. season. Yeah, you're right. Exercise those yeah. demons and early psychologically, on. psychologically, where are you? And psychologically, then yeah. hopefully that gives you a bit of a boost of like, all right, don't have to worry about that anymore. There are no more questions you're going to get about it. You just move on, focus on the Chiefs, and then the Titans in that game in week four. Wow. Okay. I love it. Quitter uh, question of the week. Who was that again? Who that came was from uh, T.Y. Bob Official. T.Y. Bob Official. Good man. It's a stick deodorant, Bob. Uh, hopefully, we answered, <laughs> hopefully we answered your question there. We go to Mate. He's got random thoughts that just spew out yes, of his mouth do. every now and again. Yeah, we're keeping it light so, here. We're why don't keeping we, it light. Why don't we go your thought of the week is? Yeah, no more roster uh, talk here. Guys, okay. What Jeffrey, what's the worst date you've ever been? Oh, that's my random thought of the week. The worst date I've ever been on. Yeah, Um, boy, there's been a couple. I don't know if I'm going to zero in on. I don't know if I could tell that story though. To be honest (laughs) with you, (laughs) can you give us the PG version or no? Jeez, yeah, it was. uh, They have something to do with somebody's dad. No, I didn't. It was like I I never saw the woman again. But we had met previously the day before. I was living in Southern California at the time. I'll never forget it. I'll just come out and say it. I mean, it is what it is. You know, nature is a beautiful thing. So. <laughs> so, so I, I I met this woman and went, hey, we should go out to lunch or something. She's like, oh, let's go out to dinner or something like that. We talked, and this was back in the day of the pager was around and stuff like that. So you had landlines. It's like 1992. No, it's probably more like 
I mean, realistically, 96, 97 in that range, maybe 95. <laughs> I'm in there. Anyway, we talked, and she said, yeah, that'd be fun. You have to come pick me up if you want to take me out on the date and stuff like that. I said, no problem. Absolutely. Go there. And she gets in the car, and the first thing she says is, I can't go to a restaurant with you, but I want you to take me to a store because my aunt just came into town, and I don't feel good. Oh, oh, shoot. Oh, glory be. I'm just saying, again, I know that was a, a long pause, but she was not very animated. Sorry, I took you for your word. She was, no, you know, it was that time of the, uh, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. saying of yeah. okay. woman's. Okay, so right. she, All my right. point for, hold on a second. Okay. Let me just clarify this. All right. She was laying down in my car as I was driving to Ralph's so she could go get some things sure. for her aunt who just came in town. Gotcha. That is a bad day. Am I am I in trouble is, for coming a, out with this? That's or a what? really bad day. And and she, I said I dropped her back off, and I didn't ever. I, I I did, and I'm not being that guy, but I just didn't never saw her again because it was. So you uh, were one and done. On it that. was one and done, and no. I literally took her to the store. She got some, you know, the, some things for herself, and then uh, some woman's hygiene products, and then uh, that was all I saw of her because <laughs> her attitude, uh, aside from that, had nothing to do with that. But her attitude was so entitled. Like you're coming to pick me up. Yeah. You're going here. I'm not going here with you but you are going to take me here with that and i was just like whoa okay okay here we go so you know it was about a 30 minute date that i uh i would classify as one of the, the that's worst. not good yeah, yeah. Not, not a good date right there and you guys are both married so be careful on this one i'm oh, I, no, mine, you know. mine mine is it, it was last year and it's my fault i'm just opening the story by saying this is my fault what happened here so we blame you anyway. So my wife, Betsy, is she loves the Olympics. Yep. Loves the loves Team USA, loves, you know, figure skating, gymnastics, all this stuff. So last year I'm sitting here at work and I'm on profootballreference.com yep. doing my job, and I see a little banner ad down at the bottom that Simone Biles and the US gymnastics team are coming to Indianapolis. Nice. I'm like, Yeah, that's cool. We should do that. You know, I don't know anything else about it. I click in and I buy some tickets. I'm like, hey, let's go see this. Let's get a babysitter. We'll go out to dinner Good beforehand Good downtown. Man. Good man. So we we go out. We go to Prime. Have a great, great dinner there. And it's like, all right, let's get over to, uh, you know, Gainbridge and let's go see this. So we get over there. We get in and we sit down and we look around. And it's nothing but teenage girls. Like, it's like 12. <laughs> oh, really? In, in the range Did of you take probably, to on ice? probably eight. The ages of maybe 5 through 17 <laughs> make up about 80% of the audience. And there we are, two adults with no kids who have had a bottle of wine at dinner, <laughs> sitting there in the stands watching an exhibition that barely was gymnastics at all. Right, right, and right. Betsy at one point went up to go use the bathroom and I texted her, please come back because I'm sitting here, a single man right. in this stadium. And, I mean, we, we laughed. It, it, yeah. It, it did not work out. It was entirely my <laughs> yeah, fault. Right, right. And, and every now and then, Betsy goes, hey, remember that time that we went to that gymnastics show and it wasn't for us? Right, right. Because we don't have... Yeah, every time you watch gymnastics now, right, you got an icebreaker. Well, yeah. I love it. I mean... By the we, way, we I, did, I did see Simone Biles do some gymnastics. Listen, it was very impressive, I, but it was not like her you know, full routine Arguably deal. the greatest gymnast of our Arguably time. Arguably the greatest athlete yes, so you, of all the, time. The good news is you and Betsy got to see that. <laughs> yeah, but it was like it was like watching – it was like watching uh, – I would equate it to like if you showed up to training camp and you watched Jonathan Taylor yeah. in uh, no pads go through drills at a jog through. Right. Is like kind of like what we saw Simone Biles do. It's like <laughs> right, this is a great right, athlete, right. and I know this is a great athlete, yeah, but, but they're not doing the things that make them a great. And athlete. they got paid well. We go to Matt Taylor, and I'm thinking, I'm hoping this goes back to your 4-H days when uh, when you were working with yeah. uh, farm milking animals, cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was feeding feeding the chickens. <laughs> we t I, you took, 4 I took her in the barn. <laughs> I took her in the barn, and old <laughs> man Peabody came in, caught us. Uh, as you a terrible were a 4-H guy. Where are you with the goats and the lambs and whatnot? you remember that period of time? In high school, I don't know if they still do this. I don't know if they did this in Illinois, JJ. But you, you get your license, and you have that 90-day probation yeah. period yep. where you're not allowed to have somebody in your car. Yep. So yeah, I got to talking with this gal at sophomore year of, of high school, and she gets her license before I do, and she says, I'll pick you up. And I said, well, you've got the 90-day thing. She said, oh, I won't tell if you don't tell. So I said, all right. So she comes and picks me up. And it's sort of late at night. It's like 10, 11, you know, at least late for a 16-year-old, right? Kind of breaking curfew. She takes us to a nearby high school 
that is under construction, like they're building some add-on wing or something. So we, you know, neither of us could go back to our house because we weren't supposed to be together. So um, she comes and picks me up. We go to this nearby construction site at a high school. We park. We think we're, you know, we're getting away with something. Sure, so we, we sure. park. And um, <laughs> so, you know, then then I see, you know, then I start seeing in my rear view mirror oh. there, I see, you know, cherries and berries. Oh, yeah, gumball machine. Yeah, huh? gumball machine. And, and um, you know, the local sheriff comes over and he, he takes us away. <laughs> so we had to call our parents. Parents had to come get us. Yeah, we had to explain what we were doing, and neither of us really could because what, what a dip move. What, what an absolute dip move to think that we could get away with, with what we did. Well, you're normal, bro. We've, everybody's yeah. had that sort of thing. You know, you know so I mean? Some people get caught, some don't. I mean, this yeah. is 20 years ago, so yeah. still surveillance cameras still were in existence, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah, it was not obvious to spot us. So oh, man. she got grounded for uh, you know probably a couple months. I got grounded for a similar sentence and. uh yeah, people people still talk Look talk about the now. stupidity. Look at you now, mate. So you're going to be going that with your own kids pretty soon. Don't forget. <laughs> what were you don't thinking? Forget, don't you go don't, down. You don't have an answer. That's it, man. Hey, I like those. That is the uh, Mate's random thought of the week. Uh, maybe on next week's show, I'll tell you when I got drunk and rolled in Hollywood. <laughs> anyway, that's for another story. <laughs> it's a true one too. But maybe I can. Uh, that's true. That's true. But listen, I enjoyed it. Listen, Hollywood this, Square. I'm just telling you, first time, second time, third time, maybe in Hollywood, I got drunk and I got rolled. I know I sound like an old country song but we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks again inside football with rick venturi it's going to drop on wednesday you get rick's uh thoughts on this 53 man roster don't forget uh we got one-on-ones going through you got the colts happy hour with jmv and daily updates tuesday through thursday on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan matt taylor voice of the colts you know him you love him jj stankovitz colts.com senior writer one of the best in the business and sometimes you'll hear me and sometimes you won't I'm Gorman. All right, guys, I had fun. Like I said, we're going to talk drunken and getting rolled in Hollywood after we talk football next week. Just kidding. We'll be back talking ball. See you then.